0: yeah
1: Boy. hey everyone welcome to yeah but the podcast i'm super excited i finally it's been so long since we've seen each other so long since we've talked i think it was like drag con two or three years ago that we saw each other last um finally getting to sit down with bam bam hi Welcome.
2: you thank you for having me
1: yeah of course for those of you who don't know bam bam they are a sister of perpetual indulgence they're an incredible designer um do all sorts of things um you also have a title don't you or at least I one title
2: a, yeah i have a leather title i was a mr la leather bear 2017 um but i've done a lot within like the leather community here in la that's awesome well welcome I'm so excited to have you I'm so excited to be here I know we've talked about this for a minute but with everything <laughs> that's been going on it's just kind of it's been it's, it's been interesting
1: <laughs> yeah it's one of those things where like we all technically have more time on our hands but like finding time to do stuff is a lot more difficult somehow
2: <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because I thought that with all this extra time, I would be designing more, and I'd be making more, and I find <laughs> myself working less, which yeah. is
1: crazier. Well, it's weird, too, because, like, I've had a few commissions that have been sitting there for a while, and, like, I I want to work on them, and I wake up every morning, and I see the fabric sitting there, and I'm like, I need to get these to the clients. But then there's just something in my head that's just like, you're depressed get back under the sheets
2: it's such a weird like feeling right now no i totally get you i've i've been in the same boat i have i have two commissioned that, that again one's on the dress form right now that's i've worked on it and i've got so much done it's literally i'm like in the final stretch and it's just so hard to get those creative juices flowing yeah and then i try to like force myself to do stuff and it just i end up getting frustrated and when i mess yep. up it 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 ampli- it's like amplified times 10 because i'm already not in like a creative mood oh so, yeah like i feel you yeah
1: i've definitely sewn a few sleeves inside out and done hems <laughs> the wrong way a few times recently it's just yeah it's weird 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 time weird weird way to get your head in the game but um yeah, so I just—we've never—I don't think we've ever gotten a chance to like sit down and like have a heart-to-heart or like talk about life. Really, we've just kind of like seen each other in passing, running through the corridors of DragCon and uh, for seeing real, each other I- at
2: shows. And <laughs> I think that, yeah, it, it's so crazy because that's how it is with like so many people that I know here, too, even locally. Mm-hmm. So, like we know of each other, we see each other at clubs and bars. And um, it's always, like, hi, bye. But it's interesting because I think DragCon is really cool because everyone that I knew on, like, social media, I had the opportunity to have, I mean, similar connections with where I'm just like, hey, like, you're so and so from like Instagram. I'm like, hey, yeah, you're so and so too. Cause I'm like, well, good to meet you. I was like, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Let's take a picture. Bye. Have fun. I'll see you. Yeah, exactly. i maybe
1: at a show. And the worst is when like the Instagram handle isn't their actual like drag name and all you know is the Instagram handle and you're yeah. like, you're at
2: such and such, right? Yeah. I've, I've had people like literally do that. Or the worst part to me, is when they'll message you on instagram and they'll be like oh my god i saw you at i saw you at drag but i was too intimidated to like say hi i was like why like what just say hi like yeah right did that even here like when they'll see me out at bars they'll message me after i saw you at the bar but i didn't want to like bother you i was like what like just say hi just say hello (laughs) that's such a strange phenomenon um (laughs) Yeah. No, I feel like everyone's everyone's so focused on social media sometimes that they forget mm. to live in the real world. Yeah. And I I I don't know if it's because it it breaks this illusion of what who they might have what yeah. they might have of that person, and I think sometimes that fear may keep them from actually interacting with that individual. Um, yeah. Completely. I, that's just like my little conclusion that I've come that I've come to it's a lot easier to type a message
1: to someone than it is to talk to someone because when you're typing, you can think through what you want to say and you can take a few minutes to respond and things like that. And then there's that social anxiety of, well, when I actually
2: meet them in person, what if I say something stupid? Like the the funniest thing to me is when people meet me, they're like, Oh my God, you're, you're really short. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like five foot nothing. That's why I don't take pictures next to tall people indoors. <laughs> that's why at DragCon, I
1: rarely, that's, well, that's not why, but one of the benefits of the fact that I rarely actually wear heels is because I... uh I'm, I'm like a normal height <laughs> at that point. I'm yeah. really good at finding outfits that touch the floor, no matter what how I'm standing or walking, so I can wear flip flops the whole time. And oh no my god, one will no, ever know.
2: that's like super necessary. <laughs> yeah.
1: I've never understood. You could always tell the baby queens versus the like seasoned queens because the baby queens are like I'm wearing my 10-inch heels all weekend and all of the seasoned queens are like I'm wearing my pajamas today
2: without any makeup and I don't care. Oh, you're like, I'm barefoot today. I'm barefoot this weekend. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. So so tell me um, how you um, came to be where you are. Tell me a little bit about like the sisters and the leather community and um how you came to be a designer things like that
2: well that's interesting um so so i grew up in churches right so i grew up in a christian church when i was like 10 okay but um i didn't have like the worst experience like yeah there was the experience of like internalizing like you know my homosexuality and that manifesting Mm -hmm. in other ways but for the most part i i enjoyed it um but i always put like a lot of myself into the community aspect of church and like yeah. uh, interacting with other individuals and just getting to know people. And so when I left that whole era of my life um, and came out and started exploring just being gay and being comfortable in my skin, I, I wanted to do the same for the gay community. I wanted to put just as much effort into a community that I truly identified with and a community that um, I felt a part of. And so I was like, well, what can I do? Like, I I I had volunteered my entire life there. I had uh, in churches. I had volunteered. I had given all my time. I was there like Monday through Sunday sometimes, just like vigils, prayer services. Know that feeling, stuff, right? <laughs> so like, if I put so much emphasis on that, like, why can't I do that now with like as an adult in the things that I I truly relate to, um, even more on like a spiritual level. And so I was looking around at, you know, different organizations and like what they did. And um, I found this group of of individuals who were uh, called the Gummy Bears. And so I had reached out to one of them. And so that person at that time was just starting their journey as a sister, I believe, or had like volunteered with them to a certain capacity, which is Baronce. And um, who's like, yes. my good Judy. And so <laughs> she had created this group called the Gummy Bears. And they were like a group of philanthropists. And so we go go but we also like donated a lot to charity. So we did like autism walks and aid walks and stuff like that. And so it was like my introduction to giving back to our community. And then she started her, she had started her journey with the sisters. And I was like, oh my God, this is kind of interesting, you know, because I'd, I'd always been like just a boy dancing on a platform, making some <laughs> bucks and, um, you know, giving my wet dollars to the Taco Bell lady at three in the morning. <laughs> yes. But um, but I was I was so enthralled with just the activism and the philanthropy of the sisters and everything that they did and they stood for. Once I started like researching them, I was just always really uncomfortable with um, the drag aspect of it because up until that point, I had never ever experienced anything like that. You know, and and they weren't and to anybody that knows the sisters, like they're not the most. I mean. You, they're definitely not female impersonators, you know, they mm-hmm. wear white face, you know, they're super colorful. Um, they don't try to, they're more like gender benders. And so at that point, I didn't know much about drag to truly unbox what that was like. It to me was just really bizarre. Um, but, you know, I, I started, I, I went to some meetings, and I went to some events. And the very first event I ever truly went to where I was like, I want to do this, was at this uh, bar named MJ's in Silver Lake, which is no longer there, which is a shame because it was like Mm. my favorite, favorite, favorite bar. And there was an event called Hard Heroes, and it was an event for, um, for being alive. And uh, being alive was the first, you know, organization that, that I knew of here in LA that did a lot of HIV and substance abuse services and mental health and stuff like that. Uh, And so, you know i went there it was like this super cool like cosplay drag like kind of event uh but it was also really kinky and so it was it was just like this big like melting pot of so many things and i had never experienced anything like that up until that point because everything had been so like compartmentalized because all i had ever really knew was like was hollywood and that whole scene and i didn't know anything outside of that so you know i went to that event i was like I wanna like be a part of this. And then I I joined the sisters and I went through that whole process. So from like beginning to as like an aspirant to like the end result of being a fully professed sister, it's about like a year and a half worth process. to like go wow. through all the steps. There's like four steps. So it's like um, aspirant, um, postulant, novice, and then fully professed. Okay. And so each comes with like a set of requirements and it's pretty much for the sisters to see that you're really committed to the cause. And what they stand for as opposed to just people coming in willy-nilly without any like real resolve for it. Yeah. So um so I went through that whole process and the beginning was rough because you know being a little young baby queer and in the world you know in the world of like drag race where everything is so aesthetic based I grew up around wanting to be so aesthetically pleasing which I wasn't because girl my (laughs) makeup was like rough that first year first year and a half but like somewhere along of the Lions, people were like, well, it's not about the look. It's more about the work. And then that really resonated me because if I'm doing this because of the look, then I feel like my heart's in the wrong place because I'm doing this for community, not for like accolades. Yeah. And when I really, truly got that subject and like resonated with it, I stopped caring about my look and start doing the work. And I just got better Like, because I wasn't so focused on it that I just like had fun with it. And I feel like I wasn't having fun and just like letting it be. Yeah. And when I did, it's like, uh, it, I just naturally got better. I stopped like stressing about it, and eventually, I haven't done makeup in like two years. But uh, eventually, my makeup had gotten like really good, and I was really proud of like where I had been. And um, and I never like went to school for it. I just, it was just self-taught, and so I was really, uh, you know, I was really happy, and I was super active. And then through that is um. Where I met my first boyfriend, uh, well, not who I won't name, um, but he was a designer and um, a really, really good designer. He's, you know, he's designed for a lot of like big names within like the Drew, RuPaul's Drag Race realm right now. And um, and you know, he never taught me anything, but I like really <laughs> saw a lot of like his work, and I was like really amazed by the craft of it. And um, you know, he's he had made a bunch of my costumes as well while I was a sister. And so, um, but I, I really enjoyed the artistry behind designing and yeah. the artistry behind, you know, taking fabric and manipulating it to make something, you know, either really beautiful, or really artistic or just something so avant-garde. And so, even though I never really learned anything, like, I, I really was exposed to it so mm. much with him like I would end up you know driving to VIP and dropping off costumes for like Morgan or going to Mickey's and dropping off costumes for like Mariah and that's how I got to know so many of the drag queens as well and um and you know and I and I, and I got further involved within that whole realm and when we broke up I you know I I didn't even like look into like making costumes right even after I broke up I still commissioned him to make me a few things for DragCon, <laughs> and um and, but it was like, it was expensive, girl. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I still paid everything out. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of queens and seasoned queens, you know, know how much garments are worth and know how much work gets put into them. Anybody who knows how to sew knows that it's not like the easiest thing. Yeah. And so uh, I was like, fuck this, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can sew. Uh, I didn't. I ended up buying my younger brother a sewing machine because my younger brother <laughs> on drag race you know and mm-hmm. so um my younger brother's a, a drag queen and i bought him a machine and it just kind of like sit there like nobody nobody used it, it was just it was bought and it was there <laughs> and i think after a while i was like well let me take a crack at making my own costumes and so so i did and they weren't the greatest but you know they they got the job done yeah um you know i, I learned to cut some you know some patterns here and there and for like two years, I learned like on YouTube, I just was watching videos on YouTube um, and just kind of like trial and errors. I, trust me, I fucked up a lot of costumes. <laughs> There's a lot of really pretty fabric that I bought that I didn't know how to use that all went oh, to the yeah. trash because I like destroyed oh, and ruined that's it. It's the worst. And, um, and yeah, I was doing that on the side and making costumes for my brother and for myself but during that time I was also working in HIV. So I was, uh, I was working in nonprofits and I was doing, I was a coordinator for a program that did like substance abuse and HIV education. Um, so we did treatment, treatment and, um, and, and prevention. So I did that for about five years. So oh, five wow. years of that. And then I was sewing on the side and I was like still doing like the sisters. And, um, and then during that, I was like, I kind of, step back from the sisters I was still around I was still pretty active but um I had I had kind of navigated into the different areas of my life that I was like interested in which is how like leather came into my life and I started going to like you know bars like the eagle and fault line and the bullet out here in LA and I was kind of intrigued by this entire world right because mm-hmm. up until that point I hadn't I kind of knew about it but I was like on the outskirts of everything. Yeah. And I decided to, like, you know, dip my little chubby toes into the water. <laughs> and I was fascinated by it because I guess at that point, through like the sisters, I had, I, I look at everything through like a performative lens because I feel like, yeah, a lot of different aspects of like queer culture sometimes is performative, whether, oh, yeah, whether people acknowledge it or not or even like notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of things are performative, and uh, and it's not a bad thing. I'm like mm, I, I don't no, knock no, it no. at all. It just it just happens to be the way that it is. And like to show off, <laughs> right? I mean, Lord Lord knows I do. But, um, <laughs> but I I kind of took a stab at it, and I had gone to my very first Folsom, and uh, Baroncy held a bare title, and you know I was friends with him, and so I had gone to Folsom with them, and. I was exposed to all of this. And I was like, oh my God, look at all this manzises, all these, you know, penises, all these butts. Um, And I was just so turned on, but also like fascinated and intrigued. Mm. And so um, I met that year's current title holder who was Mr. L.A. Leather Bear, probably like 2013, 14, I want to say. Okay. And I remember being so like gung-ho about it like I'm gonna compete I'm gonna do this I'm gonna like win and so yeah so this was like years you know before I, I, I went back into like really dipping my toes into it and I just didn't I, I realized again like I was doing it as a performative thing and I felt like my heart really wasn't in it mm-hmm. so I didn't want to just do it for like the the glamorization of it you know yeah. i really wanted to it to mean something for myself it doesn't mean that that's what people have to do and so like a few years later uh, I again, I had like done a lot of blessings for different leather contests. You know, the sisters would bless the beginning of events. Okay. And so they do again, like a performative, like ritualistic uh, scene. And sometimes they're a little obscene, and sometimes they're a little raunchy, which is the fun part. <laughs> I remember for one of them at the Eagle, we um, we shoved bananas in this bo- in this like boy's butt. So, <laughs> mind you, so so picture this: the boy's like face down, <laughs> ass up. I'm under him between his legs like he had a jock strap on and his like jo- his junk is like in my face i'm holding like a crystal goblet to like scoop up the droplets of the banana that like you know hey. is like not making it into this boy's booty hole and so and i'm like Dying, right? Because I'm like laughing. This is like just the crazy shit. We're on stage, everyone's watching. And then one of the sisters, like, oh, you want to laugh? And like, there's like a chunk of banana that he like grabs that was like lodged in this boy's butt and just like shoves it in my mouth. And I'm just like dying. And so at the end of it, <laughs> we, we grab this crystal goblet and we give it to all the judges. And like, we give it to all the judges to like take, you know, to eat some of it. And it was like, that's the kind of blessings that we would do, right? Like, very ritualistic, very like. Love funny. it. Um, and so I, I had gotten to know so many title holders and so many people in the leather community through that, but all they Mm -hmm. ever knew me is like, as Bam Bam. And that's where like my nickname comes from. Like that was my sister name, sister Bam Bam. And, um, and everyone knew me like as a sister, everyone knew me in that capacity, but nobody ever really knew who Daniel was, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, my, my name, my, my actual name, my government name. But, um, you know, but they knew who I was and everybody like knew I was like the pretty drag queen with the butt that's always out. Like that was, like, <laughs> I mean, there and, are worse um, things to be known as. <laughs> right. Oh, like, yes, it's real. It's not a couch cushion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was nice to be, be known and be respected. And so when I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like, I feel like I've done enough in this community and I've made a name for myself to like actually win a title and carry it with like some, you know, some weight under my belt and um and so i did and then i found out who my contestants were which was like uh a really good friend of mine now like his name is francisco but he had been around the leather community for like years before i did like volunteering mm. uh, he was a really kinky motherfucker and i just kind of was like this new little baby i was like um i like to get you know slapped maybe <laughs> but you know was just, like, this baby like to everything and so i was like oh well you know, whatever. I just want to have fun. You know, I I just want to have fun. I want people to have a good time with me. And then there was this other guy that competed. His name was Gus. Beautiful, like, little muscle cub. Like, really furry. Gorgeous. So I was like, well, he has the looks. He has, like, the reputation. And I'm just like, hi, guys. I (laughs) I With with all the pink and the sequins and the glitter, right? Because all the leather men love that. Oh, Um, so much. Right. And so I was just, like, in this, like, state of, like, I'm not going to win. I'm just going to go in there and like not take myself seriously and like have fun.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the only reason why I like even wanted to, that's the only title I wanted to do. There's like 10 or 12 titles in LA that people can run for. But this is the only one that I really kind of connected with. Mm. Uh, and so I went there, like all of my friends like showed up, like even people that I didn't think were going to show up, like Vander showed up. And wow, was, like, yeah, like I had met Vander at an Austin Young photo shoot before he had ever won Dragula. Me and Beyonce uh met them there and we're like who is that i was like i don't know i've never seen them and um and we met and we met them there and i was just like you're gonna go places and then there she goes (laughs) we knew we knew that was gonna happen she's fucking disgustingly talented annoyingly
1: Um, talented but also annoyingly wonderful
2: (laughs) and such a humble and sweet individual like gross how like worse can you get right (laughs) (laughs) right leave Um, something for the rest of us Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was so, I was so humbled by that experience because I was so nervous going into it because I really didn't, um, that's not what I was known for. Like mm. I had never really made a presence as like, a like my, I, I say a boy, but like as my, like as not my drag persona. Um, And I ended up fucking winning. Like there's even a picture where the, I'm just like so shocked. I'm like, what? I was like, that's, how you pronounce my name aren't you? Didn't you mean one of them? And I'm just like <laughs> dumbfounded like I'll, I'll I'll send you the picture like at some point it's so <laughs> hilarious. Um, and, and yeah it was such a surreal experience because I didn't I really honestly didn't think I was gonna win. Um, but like everyone's support and it didn't even hit me till like a week later where I'm like oh my god I have a title. Um, but yeah <laughs> and so throughout all that like journey I was like I was doing leather. I was like teaching myself to sew. I was still a sister. I was working in HIV, and like I had all these different hats. Yeah. And so at at some point, you're you're headed for burnout, right? Yeah. And so um, so after competing in LA Leather Bear here in LA, there's just, like there's like a title circuit, and so you go on to compete for Mister LA Leather, and that one was like a clusterfuck because everyone had like gassed me <laughs> up to win. They're like, you're you like have it. And then, so then this other guy wins and he's like, nothing but looks, right? There's no substance there, but the guy was beautiful. And, you know, and it, it hurt a lot because there was a lot that was, that went on that year. Like the judging panel that year was eight cis white men. And, you know, so that was one thing. And then, on top of that during the during the interview process, there were some questions that I didn't necessarily appreciate some had to do with like race, which I felt was was not appropriate and I didn't realize it didn't hit me until like later because we some of myself and other contestants were kind of um kind of debriefing like how everything went, how did you think you did mm-hmm. and so one of the questions that were that were asked were like about voting, and so the question was, I believe. So, the white contestants got asked, "Were you uh, were you registered to vote?" Right, and mm-hmm. then the the brown contestants were asked, "Are you legally uh, registered? Are you legally able to vote?" And so, I t- when I was asked Say that, what? I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, right." So when I was asked that, I was like, God. yeah, like." But I didn't think, I didn't process yeah. it, I didn't think of it. You're so like, oh my God, we're doing interviews, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. all these people or whatever. And there were some other stuff that um, that I, I just didn't think was necessary. And especially with like masculinity and femininity. Um, so like that happened and um, whatever. I, I thought I was going to at least place. And so I knew in my head who they, if, if they were going by like looks and if they were going by like, traditional like leather standards like the whole Tom of finland-esque like look yeah um i knew who was gonna win again yeah. this is somebody that was like ne- that never did anything in the community like you know didn't and mind you disappeared after he won um and so so that person won uh which kudos to him whatever i it, it hit me weird because i really did think that i i had a lot to bring to, mm-hmm. to whatever that was uh mind you the people that didn't place were the ones that honestly did the most in the community uh, the people who didn't place are honestly the people who are still around like to this day um, yeah. relevant and like doing the work competitions and- are
1: rarely an indicator of of who actually is gonna be the ones putting in the work
2: yeah for- and, I, and I learned that and that's why like moving forward uh, a big chunk of like my title brothers that year were like w- our year was known as like a really rambunctious class like like, trouble troublemakers and you guys you know started a lot of shit i was like good yeah because we went through a lot of shit like there was one guy that posted one of the judges posted this comment about one of my brothers and you know he's he's skinny he's older and he's kind of like feminine and um mind you like i fucking adore him and so there was this whole post on facebook about how he just didn't fit the person, you know, the the image of like somebody who's like sexy and stuff. And so, mind you, in the, in the age of like social media girl, it was like screenshot, repost, like how dare you? What? Yeah. The fuck? So, every again, everything was like flipped upside down. And after our year, so much stuff got restructured within like the Los Angeles leather community in terms of like the title system like you know they they vetted judges they made sure that there's equal representation in terms of like people of color people of different gender identities and like after that like there's always been you know um like like female representation and i really appreciate that because sometimes i identify more with female energy Mm -hmm. than i do with like this hyper masculine er energy like i identify as like non-binary and um something that i don't really. You know talk about but it just it just is it just it's why yeah. like, i don't feel like i have to like scream at everyone but that's just me um and and like you know i appreciate that like i appreciate knowing that there's a nine non-binary individual on the judging panel i appreciate that there's a person of color even if it's like a black person or you know a brown person or like anything you know uh besides like a cis white male because yeah. i feel like you know a lot of times w- even myself, I fall into this, like, I get to, I identify with what's familiar, and it doesn't necessarily mean, like, I don't like what's unfamiliar, but it just makes me feel a little safer, so, like, like I get when people, like, resonate toward people that look like them, or resonate yeah. towards people that, you know, they um, they identify with a little bit closer, um, but, like, that's why we can't have judges that make that all are made up of like one identity, you know, because yeah. then it just feels like the cards are stacked against you. So, you know, I lost LA Leather. I was like devastated for a while at that, at that moment in my life, like I had a leather family. So I was collared to, I was in service to someone. And then I had like, you know, five brothers in our like little leather family and like our little poly family. And so I think like that helped with the healing because I had so much support and love from them that year And after I lost, I was like, thank fucking God, like I lost. I was so grateful that I didn't (laughs) win because the shitstorm that came after that was like crazy for, for some of us. Because again, we were like the rowdy bunch and like all this drama that happened, but I was glad that I I didn't have the title because I didn't have to like carry all (laughs) that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Gained the respect from people without winning. Like, I felt like people really resonated with me and came up to me and wanted to, like, get to know more from me. Mm. From, like, doing what I do and, like, going on stage and and being just me. Like, being yeah. this, like, little chubby brown boy, you know, that's just happy. You know, my dad went there to see me. Wow. <laughs> So see he saw me in all my he saw me in all my goods and my leather jacket and shaking my butt and he saw all these men like oogling me and I was like ooh and then some people were like who's that cute little bear? I was like that's my dad. And yeah, like do hit on that one. Guy, I was like, you can't touch that one. If you do, you gotta I get 10%. Um, <laughs> But, like, it was really cool. And, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm really grateful for that experience. Because, again, I, I appreciate my dad for showing up. Like, that mm. was so important. I appreciate the people that that did support me and, like, that were happy to see me on stage doing, like, what I do best and just act the fool. And, you know, after that, like, I was so, I was just so blessed, you know? And so, I, at that point, like, when, when I, my title was up, I had I had left my leather family i had just started dating you know my then boyfriend and um and i kind of wanted to take a different route with my life like i had done hiv for five years and um and as much as i love that that's like one of my first loves in terms of like what i want to do for this community and Mm -hmm. you know just advocacy behind it but again i was like just burnt out and i wanted to try something different something that like i felt so happy doing and yeah. At that point it was like design. And so I looked up programs within, you know, here in LA and um and I was like, well, you know, like I know some things and I had gotten commissioned to do like some costumes that I just knew that I didn't have the capacity to do. Like I didn't have the knowledge to create certain shapes. I didn't know, you know, how to develop certain things that people were asking me to do. And I just I'm I just turned them down, you know? And so, but it made me feel bad. I was like, but I want to be able to do those things. Yeah. So I looked up programs and unfortunately, like the programs here were either too expensive, like I fit Like I'm like, girl, I can't afford mm. that shit. Yeah. Um, or they were like <laughs> extremely time consuming where I'm like, oh fuck, like that's a lot of time. And so I found like this middle ground at Trade Tech and um, I did their fashion design program. And I, I, unfortunately it's like a really heavy program. So it's like Monday through Friday from like, 7 a.m. to, like, 12 p.m., and, like, it's a very intensive pro- uh, program, <laughs> but I was, like, well, fuck it, like, if this is something that I really want to do, then, like, I'll do it, Yeah. And so I quit, I quit my job in, in, uh, in, like, program management with, like, nonprofits, and I went to school full-time, and I was, like, okay, I have to do this, like, you know, I, I, if I don't go to school back, I don't know, if I don't go back to school now, I'm, like, never gonna do it yeah i'm like i'm gonna be 30 in two years i want to finish this by the time that i'm 30 and like you know spend the next decade like building something for myself yeah and so that's what I did. I, I spent the whole year going to school full-time, like not working. I was like living off my savings. And because um, I was a smart gay, I had some savings. Um, <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> right. Well, girl, that saving tapped out real quick. God. <laughs> um, so by the second year, I was like, oh, girl, I don't have – I can't do that this year. So, you know, I picked <laughs> up a part job for my second semester. I was working at Sprouts, which is like this grocery store here
0: mm-hmm.
2: in L.A. And so – I was working at Sprouts part-time because it was the only job that I could really do with the heavy schedule that I had with school. And so I would go to school, then go to Sprouts, pay bills, rent, all that stuff, right? Um, and I was wrapping up this year. I would have uh, graduated, but then, you know, COVID said, you thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I had one semester left, which was, like, the final semester where you create your, like, little mini collection and, you know, mm-hmm. show in a fashion show. And, um, you know, I just... I didn't want to do that digitally. Like I had, oh, I had yeah. done one of my classes. I started one of my pattern drafting classes in school, and then I think like two or three weeks before that class was over, like the shutdown happened, and I was like, "Oh, okay, cute. Um, what's gonna happen?" And so for three weeks we were doing through Zoom, and we're doing pants, girl. And so it's funny. Like I have, I have like my pants pattern here.
1: The hardest and, thing to pattern. And so, um Ugh, I hate pants.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going. We're we're drafting pants and like pleated pants and like all that stuff, jump shoots, and, you know, we're we're doing this through, through Zoom, mm-hmm. and it was just so. I'm such a hands-on person. Like I'm visual yeah. and I'm like hands-on, and. I just, I I couldn't do it digitally. Like I, my, my head just couldn't do it. And the worst part was I had, well, I had been sewing for, you know, three, four years now, you know, on my own. So like I have dress forms, I have sewing machines, i have like, you know, sergers. I have an industrial and like, I have fucking closet full of fabric. So like I was good, you know, but I felt really bad for students because a lot of them, this was this was their introduction to sewing. They had never, they never yeah. They've just been learning. And I felt really sad because they were like, well, I don't have fabric or I don't have pattern paper or I don't have a machine at home because we use the labs at school. Yeah. So I felt really bad. And some students were like, well, what do we do? And the professors, you know, and it's not their fault. They weren't equipped. Yeah. They weren't ready or equipped to like transition their entire courses onto a digital platform. You know, people I and mean, people who have digital, classes prepare for it and create a curriculum oh yeah uh, it's a very different bitch (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we were all in the same boat and uh i remember the the professor was like i i know this is like really hard maybe if you you know if you wanted to use your 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 curtains or your bed sheets to like make these pants like you know I, it's totally acceptable i was like bitch they say no like gone with the wind challenge <laughs> all this. i saw I it like, in the
1: window and i couldn't I was, resist
2: okay bitch i was like what this what is going on so like that just was it to me like and that's just me that's just me being yeah. like maintenance or whatever you know then like, <laughs> just like whatever like i'm just gonna get this grade i wasn't like i'm just trying to get a grade i'm like no i want to like learn like really feel like i'm taking it in like i really want to know what i'm doing and not just like pass a class yeah so i said you know what fuck it like i've i've taken enough classes to know what i'm doing now
0: like Mm -hmm.
2: literally the class that i had left was um was just like a fashion show production class yeah and um and by that point, you should already know what you're doing to, like, get there. So I was like, well, whatever. You know, I'll take a break. I'll come back when I need, th- when everything's, like, settled down. And so that was back in, like, April or mm-hmm. so. And then I was, like, not in school anymore. I was still working at Sprouts. COVID was, like, rampant here in LA. Yeah. And I'm just, like, bottled with anxiety, girl. Like, depressed. Anxiety. Oh, Yeah like filled with anxiety like not knowing what to do like feeling like a failure because i had like left school Mm -hmm. and i was just going through it and um i yeah i i was just going through the motions like so i started um i needed money so i started making masks and you know i feel like everybody and their mama were making that are still making masks Um, i'm
1: starting to finally i was like i was waiting for the like first wave of mask makers to kind of like die down and now i'm like okay now it's my chance
2: (laughs) yeah i'm like i'm like second wave here i come
1: (laughs) now that everyone else is tired of making
2: these things for real i'm tired i stopped like i told people like these are the last ones i'm gonna make like (laughs) and um and i was you know it was interesting because I, again, like I thought, well, whatever, I'll make more clothing, but you know, there are no gigs or no shows. Like, well, now people are doing like digital shows and stuff, which mm-hmm. I think is amazing. I think as queer people, we have like, our whole lives is like rolling with the punches. Like, oh in yeah. The like you got to like make fucking shit happen. And I am just like so proud of like our queer culture and queer community for like making, you know, getting lemons and making fucking, vodka lemonade because <laughs> <laughs> y'all some of y'all are doing like the damn thing and um you know i was making masks i was not making clothing uh but then like when i wanted to make clothing again i wasn't like inspired to do it yeah. i feel like i've made like a few things that i was really like yeah i'm excited <laughs> but um but yeah COVID like fucked it up and then my my boyfriend that i had like been with for like two or three years um we he broke up with me like on the first of this year so like yeah so like on january 1st we went on our date night and then we he breaks up with me during dinner i was like girl you couldn't wait for the appetizers to get here (laughs) at least have some food here for me to like process this shit
1: right let me shove something into my mouth while i'm having to be So, But I love
2: him. He's he's a sweet person. Like, I still love him. He has a very special place in my heart. But um, I think we just we had just grown apart. And Mm. I totally understand it. Mind you, at that point, like I was still in school. So I was like, well, whatever. I'm gonna put all these little feelings and put them in like a little box Mm -hmm. and like move forward. Yeah. You know, and I'll deal with them like at some point. It's what? <laughs> when, when the rest of the out, world isn't on fire, I could deal with my feelings. <laughs> you no, know, uh, the world is on fire. And yeah. I'm like having to unpackage all of these like, you know, unresolved emotions and fucking feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I've I, like literally had to unpack so many things in my life these past few months mm-hmm. that have just been like sitting there, like, girl, I was my own therapist. Yep. And, uh, but it, it's it's kind of crazy when you start like aligning you know your insides and your feelings um uh, and start addressing issues that maybe you didn't want to address like i had to do that and it was uncomfortable it was fucking mm-hmm. scary and you know i i there were nights where i fucking cried my ass to sleep oh yeah and um but, you know, like at the end of it, like where I'm at right now, I'm just so grateful that I allowed myself to to unwrap all of that because I've always been like a bottled up person, like bottle it up. And then when it explodes, bitch, that's when we're dealing with it. Oh, and, God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, like, I relate how- to that very strongly. And anyone who's friends with me on Facebook
2: <laughs> knows that. <laughs> For real. And I feel like a lot of us do that. I feel like because as queer people we like hide so much of ourselves growing oh, up yeah. and don't want to expose like those parts of our lives we learn to bottle things up and that's mm-hmm. just the way we cope and deal with things oh yeah which is not healthy
1: no not in any way shape or
2: form <laughs> and i um i i'm glad that i was able to do that for myself i don't know if i'll be able to continue doing that like later <laughs> or if i'm gonna <laughs> go, fall back into old habits but i hope i don't because i think a lot of good came from that because I was able to like identify when I'm like crawling back into those moments and be like, girl, you need to like snap the fuck out of it. Yeah.
1: That's something that I definitely have learned during this whole pandemic situation is like, I've had to come up with new coping mechanisms. I've had to like identify my coping mechanisms um, and just being able, when you're around yourself, so much which sounds weird because we're always around ourselves but when you're consciously around yourself so much and you don't have all of those distractions that you normally would have you you get that chance to to see the patterns that lead up to those breaking points yeah and so when that first step towards it happens you're like no no, that's not, no, I'm not letting that happen this time. I'm going to go listen to some Christmas music or I'm going to go play some video games. Or I'm going to do something that just randomly makes me happy yeah. because I'm not letting myself go down that route again.
2: And it's easy to go down that route. It's Very. easier to, to go down the route than it is to, like, take yourself out of it. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it's a doozy. And, like, for me, I was able to identify where my relationship with, like, You know my ex-boyfriend kind Mm -hmm. of started to take a turn and um and maybe why like what i contributed to that happening you know like Mm because you know for for a lot of times we tend to like blame others and i'm like i'm always i've always been like call me on my bullshit like i have no problem taking responsibilities for the shit that i like you know that i do like and if i'm not aware of them then please like let me know because i'd love to like check myself yeah and so I started checking myself and started to, like, really reflect on, you know, that relationship and what was going on. We were both going to school at the same time, full time. Mm. And um, I just think, like, it was the wrong time with the right person. Yeah. And now I just, like, wish him the very, very best. Like, I genuinely have so much love for that guy. And, um, and I hope he does. You know, I hope he does well. And I hope that, you know, life treats him well. And he accomplishes all the things that he needs to accomplish. I just think that where we were at in life, maybe it wasn't the right time to start a relationship. Yeah. And, um, and now I'm just kind of like, you know, I've been single this entire year. And um, I've learned to like really be happy being single. And, you mm. know, if somebody comes my way, then great. But I'm just like, it's not what I'm like actively looking for. I'm, I'm not searching for a boyfriend or I'm not like wanting a relationship. I'm just kind of like, enjoying the relationship with myself as like cliche as that sounds um and covid has definitely you know (laughs) helped with that but you know this i i was getting all this anxiety with working at a grocery store during this time
1: i can only imagine
2: and like people were not nice like people were nice for like one day during the initial closure when they were all panicking and buying all the toilet paper They were all like super grateful for like one or two days and then back to like the gross human beings that everyone is. Oh, (laughs)
1: holy. And I don't, I don't understand it. It's like, I worked in retail for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And you would think with the number of people there are who have worked in retail or have had to like work themselves up from the bottom, that in general, people would be nicer to people working in those positions. But it almost makes it worse yeah they're like well i could do your job better than you so why aren't you doing your job right
2: no totally i see that oh it's
1: i hate working with people (laughs) and
2: my my sprouts was like close to west hollywood it's like not hollywood but like hollywood adjacent i
1: know exactly which one you're talking about
2: (laughs) yeah so i was just like uh everyone kind of comes in entitled and mind you we have our, our like regulars that know us and are like really really appreciative like they're cool they're not the ones that i was like worried about it's like all these extras that came during like the pandemic because Mm -hmm. you know they're trying to find new grocery stores and ours are like kind of hidden like in the cut and so if you know you know yeah and Um. people started finding out where we were at (laughs) and so they all (laughs) started swarming and girl it was not cute and um and it's never it's
1: never the like really wealthy places it's always like the the wealthy place adjacent yeah but where they're like that like i've i've worked at two malls in the seattle area one of which was the like five city blocks three levels had the gucci store and the maserati store mm-hmm. and like really fancy malls like you have kids that come in they're like these are my children ralph and Loren. And you're like, I hate you for that, but also way (laughs) (laughs) to go. I literally that was a real situation. Oh my god. But they were always nice because they didn't have to prove anything. And then I worked at another mall that was super bougie, but it wasn't the same. It was like we it was the mall with like the FYE and like sharper image store and like this. Mm -hmm. It was the aspirational mall. Yeah. And that's why, <laughs> and that's where the people would like snap for your attention or be like, "Hey, you, I need help." And like, it's like, what? You you, you have nothing to prove because you don't have what you are pretending to have. So stop yeah. acting like that.
2: And it's always like that. Like I found out. I've, I've I mean, again, I've worked in retail. You know, before I worked in like clinical mm-hmm. management. Like, I used to work at H and M. My very first job ever. I was like 15, working oh, at God. a footwalker. and like. <laughs> So like I get it. Like I've I've gone through like all that shit. And for me, like it's made me be more conscious. Like I won't touch people's mm-hmm. like freshly folded shirts because I'm like, <laughs> I know exactly how annoying it is. Like I'll take the one from the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah, I, I will. I'm the type of person that I lift up the whole stack, move it over, take the one that I need, and put the stack back so that it looks perfect.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I know to like look for the, like the little folding things like around the table, and I'll like yeah. refold the shirt. And yeah. I'm like, I'm <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I I remember like telling like my friends I'm like, if you're not gonna buy it, don't fucking touch it. Like, yep. Like, leave it alone. Uh, I'm like, I just want to see the picture. I'm like, it's on the dress form. Like, you can see it there. But. <laughs> yeah, like, it was just so crazy. And I, I have like a huge respect for anybody who works at a grocery store um, mm. now, because I, that's the one job that like, I had never held. And I, a lot of my friends have always told me, it's like, Oh, well, when I was in college, I, you know, I worked at a grocery store. So like, that was me. Like I went back to school, I went to college and I worked at a grocery store. And I, I kid you not the amount of people that would like talk down to me, because I worked at a grocery store was like the worst to the point where I was so embarrassed to tell people that like I would meet boys and I would be so embarrassed to tell them that I worked at a grocery store because I felt like somehow like because the way people treated me I felt like it was demeaning and there was this one boy that Crazy. Stopped talking. there was a guy that stopped talking to me because I worked at a grocery store mind you like he worked he I think he worked like again like in retail. Like that was like a huge step above, right? Oh, so head, he probably like,
1: worked at like Hollister or something. <laughs>
2: okay. um, I would never. <laughs> but but i like, girl, I used to run clinics. Like I used to run clinical programs. Like I, I'm, I can get a really yeah. good job if I wanted to. I just am going. I was well, I was going to school. Yeah. And um, you know but it, it like messes with you. Like people's mm-hmm. perceptions do try to do begin to mess with you once oh, they yeah. start repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And like, even like the nice people, I know I, I know that some of them meant really well, but it's still like, it still stung a little. Cause there were like people that I loved and adored when I worked at the grocery store, they would be like, Daniel, like you're too good for this. Like, I, you know like i don't know why you're working at a grocery store i was like bitch i've told you why i'm working at a grocery store <laughs> like i'm in school full time and this is the only thing i can do to make some extra cash to like pay for it and pay oh yeah pay for your bills and um you know and once i like once in a while i have that conversation with them where like i would tell them what i used to do and they're like oh okay like i didn't know you did all that i was like well yeah bitch i was like just because people work at gro-. like girl there was one guy who was finishing his master's program mm-hmm. you know but he was still working at a grocery store and like i don't oh, yeah. understand why like, people have like these assumptions of where people work and that somehow you know relates to their value as a person oh
1: yeah i mean the first starbucks store i worked at um we had i think it was three emts that worked there two of us had our master's degrees um there was there were two or three pre-med students like it was there were so many people there who it was just like we are working at starbucks because this is the only job that we can work part-time and get medical insurance yeah that's why we're working that too
2: and and like
1: has a schedule that works around what we need to have in our lives to make sure that we can do everything else like it's not that we're lesser people. In fact, we're actually like several of us are people who will save you if you're in an emergency yeah. situation, as well as giving you your coffee.
2: <laughs> it was just so crazy to me because they would ask, like, I they would talk to me, and I would tell them like what I do, you know. And and mind you, I was I was more than anything working at Sprouts too because I didn't want this big gap between like one job mm. to the next. And I, you know, I wanted something to like put on my taxes and sh- like it was yep. more for paperwork because i i would make more money like making costume here and there like you know i was getting by by like oh, yeah. taking on commissions and then i would go to work you know at, at sprouts and i'd go to school and then i'd fucking come home work on commissions work on like my assignments and then like girl like my bags right now my bags are great but like yeah i was gonna say one. what bags Bitch, <laughs> don't I look at my face motherfucking <laughs> raccoon because i would like never sleep and uh um, yeah and it was, yeah, it was, I, like, students, like, I, I have so much respect for people who do that full-time now, because before now, like, I hadn't gone to school since I was, like, 18, like, 19, when I thought, like, well, we just go to college, right, you know, I graduated high school, I go to college, (laughs) and I took, like, two years of classes that I, like, failed, because I didn't know what I wanted to (laughs) do with my life, and then I was working, but, You know, like, throughout all this, like, I just, again, I started working on myself. I started, like, addressing all these issues, and um, I just started hating working at the grocery store. Like, working at the grocery store normally was bad, then you throw in this extra layer of, like, this fucking pandemic, and we were just all fucking miserable. Oh, yeah. Like, everyone that worked there was miserable, and our Sprouts didn't, but the Sprouts, like, down the street in, like, in West Hollywood had, like, 15 cases of employees that got covid oh. and then there was like this ralph's up on sunset they had like i don't know if it was like 60 or 90 cases and i started like fucking panicking because i'm like well yeah we're like super exposed people are like coming in here like forth yeah. like we're around people were well
1: and- in grocery stores people have no qualms about just touching literally everything around them i've never understood that it's like if you if you're picking up fruit don't touch every single apple. You can look. Your eyes work great. You can see, oh, all of these have brown spots on them, except for these three. I'll grab those three. Like,
2: right. Yeah, so I just was, like, <laughs> not happy. And um, and I started to, like, just, I'm like, well, girl, like, you're not going to school anymore. Like, you know, you, you can get, you know, you can get somewhere. You know, you can get a job yeah. somewhere else that maybe isn't as, like, high risk as this even though the only other field that I have a lot of experience with is in the medical field. (laughs) And so, which is also kind of high risk, but not like in it, you know? Yeah. So I started looking around and one day I was, um, I was doing an overnight shift at Sprouts, which I loved because I didn't have to deal with people. Mm -hmm. We were, um, we were like doing a floor set for all the price changes. And, um, I was in the break room at like three or four in the morning and I was on Facebook on my break. And, um, I had seen this job posting for a telehealth coordinator at this company called Reach LA, which I had partnered in the past before when I was working at my previous job, you know, in HIV and substance abuse. I used to go to their facilities and, do interventions for for their clients and you know they go through like this entire intervention on like education on hiv and then i'd give them some gift cards and you know whatever you know they get they get some money and then i get you know numbers for my program and they come they leave with some knowledge and some resources yeah so um so that's what i would do and um I was like, oh, they have a job opening. Mind you, this program for the longest, this company for the longest has been such a small agency. Mm. um, And it's kind of been like stagnant. I've known them for years. And so they work a lot with like the ballroom scene here in LA. Okay. Which has like blown up as of like recently because of Legendary. And Mm. so, um, so I was like, oh, that's a really interesting position for that agency because they've never really done like, telemedicine like that and I don't have a lot of experience in telemedicine but I do have experience in the medicine that they're providing so um so I was like well whatever let's I'll send in my resume and like do it you know and so I I get a call uh, I get an email they're like hey you know we want to do like a digital interview with you which was so surreal to me
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I feel like I'm relearning how to live again with yeah everything that's going on. Because we can't meet people in person, you know, you have to social distance, and um so I here I am like dressing up <laughs> to go sit at my at my sewing table. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to a job interview. Buy and like go into my room and like get ready. <laughs> I was like, do I wear pants for this or no? Never. And, uh, and so there I am, and mind you, like I, I'm interviewing, and I feel like I'm nailing it. But then I also feel like I'm kind of bullshitting some things. But I mean, who doesn't <laughs> bullshit? A Welcome fucking to Japanese. interviews. And so, so I, you know, then I found out that one of like my really good friends was also applying for the position because the program that he was a part of and he was working for got defunded. So they, they lost their funding because their funders um, shifted their money toward COVID research, which he was fine with. Like, he was like, you know, like, I get it. Like, yeah. I'm not even mad. Like, I feel like this is a priority right now. So um so whatever. He applied too, Uh And then I get, I was leaving Sprouts. I had already talked to my manager about, like, the possibility of me leaving if, you know, this interview went well. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm like, I'm not, leaving yet but if i do get the job <laughs> i am yeah and my manager was so fucking cool like i loved him he was like the only other, the only queer ma- he's the only queer person in management um besides one of my other friends who got me the job and so i feel i felt like he was kind of mad because i was like the one of the last competent people there <laughs> I hope none of them hear this because <laughs> but it's the truth um because i feel like a lot of the people that actually did the work like, well, ended up just getting so burnt out, like, you know, a lot of people. And during COVID, they're just like, deuces, I'm not here for this. Yeah. So I'm leaving, I'm leaving work one day, like at 10 p.m. And I get a call from like the CEO and they're like, hey, Daniel, how's it going? Um, Like, I'm doing well. I was like, well, he's like, I'm sorry that it's so late. I just, um, I wanted to have a real, a really quick conversation with you. I was like, yeah, what's up? He's like, so this is, this is what's kind of going on. He's like, we do want to go with you now, but I understand that you have like, you have school going on. And I know that fashion and like design is like a really big part of what you want to do with life. Um, Mind you, this program is really new for us. And we're, you know, you know, we're developing this and kind of, um, it's really innovative for our programming. And a lot of our funding is coming from the program that you're getting, you know, that we're, that you're applying for. So my thing is like we would like you know if you if you could possibly just you know commit for maybe like a minimum of 2 years to like really create a foundation for this program so it's self sustainable and that way if you do want to like pursue your dreams in like fashion then you know we we at least have you for a substantial amount of time to yeah get this program up and running and i was like oh like that's that's really sweet of you you know because Anybody else would have just been like, this isn't his passion. Like, let's go on to the next person. Right. So I told him, I was like, look, fashion is like a really big part of like what I love to do. Also, so is this, like
0: Mm -hmm. I've been
2: doing this way longer than, you know, getting paid and not getting paid way longer than I've been doing like fashion. Like, does it, do I love it? Yes. But I also love this. I'm like, in terms of like commitment, I need to get paid I was like, that's just the reality of it. And if this job is giving me some sense of stability, I'm like, I'm all for it. I'm like, and I don't have a problem with making this my career, you know, I can still design and sew outside of this, like it's, I'm like, and if anything, like your organization is, is like your mission statement is to reach, you know, black and brown folks through the arts. Like, I feel like it's a perfect marriage for my skill set to be in this agency. And so, you know, it was it was just like this really interesting conversation with the CEO about, you know, moving forward with me, which yeah. I really appreciated because he didn't have to do that. And so, so he told me, he's like, well, if you're willing to, like, you know, really commit to this and, you know, do that, like, I'd love to have you. And, you know, what? I'll email you the, the offer letter. And I, you know, I told him I was like, yeah, like I, I, I think where I'm at with my life right now, I need some stability, and I need to be able to like save as much money as I can because I don't know what's going on with COVID. I don't know how long we're gonna be. And if I'm able to get a good paying job right now, you know, during this pandemic, then girl, everything else is you know up in the air. And so I started working on July 1st, which is like you know a few di- a few like two weeks, two three weeks ago. And um, it's been, like, amazing. Like, even though I used to work for, you know, an HIV and substance abuse prevention program, it was all centered around, like, regular, like, general, like, medicine. Okay. So even though I, I worked for a department that catered to, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. that wasn't, like, the priority. It was, like, a small slice of this big pie. Okay. Like, like there were more of like family practice. There were more of like, mm-hmm. you know, regular, you know, medical care. We just happened to have funding for these particular services that I worked for. Now Reach LA is, that's it. That's all they do. All they are about is, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Like that is what Reach LA is. Yeah. And so I had never worked for anybody where every single person that works there is, queer is a person of color is you know like is very aware of you know the community's needs yeah and the people that are providing these services reflect the community so that to me was a very new concept and you know I'm 30 now I turned 30 this year I had a COVID birthday
0: Yeah, um, I'm and, about to <laughs>
2: Uh, girl that was a whole nother story (laughs) depressed bitch i was like i was 30 i was supposed to travel this year i canceled like five trips and so it was so interesting because like you know i start working here and every other there's like there's 12 of us and this agency for like the longest has only had about like four employees oh wow and so when i came on board i was i came on board with two other individuals And then there was, like, another, I guess, four or five that had come on right before us. So it's, like, a whole new staff. That's awesome. I'm I'm the one that came in with the most experience. Everyone else, this is, like, their first job or their first job in the field, Mm -hmm. which is almost, like, kind of unheard of because you typically want people with experience. Yeah. But around here, it's, like, people with experience come with bad habits. Yep. And they come with, like... Oh well this is how we used to do it at our agency and sometimes it's harder to work with them than to just oh, yeah i can know, imagine mold and teach them and these this team is like a blessing like i mm. i guess because i know where i've come from that i'm just like y'all don't know how amazing this experience is to work yeah. in this area and so um so they work with the um, They've thrown balls here and they work really closely with the Balmains. Okay. And so it's been really interesting because, you know, I mean, they all knew that the Balmains won like months ago, right? <laughs> so we've just been like waiting because, you know, that's one of the grants that we have is a dance studio. And so the Balmains teach classes there. Well, and they've that's done a cool. before legendary has come on, you know. And like Calypso, like I've done Calypso for years from when she started doing um Drag up in the i e and competing with like mm-hmm. my little brother and stuff and um so it was really interesting for me to kind of like see all these like different aspects of like my life throughout the past few years like kind of all come together mm-hmm. and um and yeah like this is where like I find myself at now like now I'm here like doing telemedicine for this like you know amazing organization that is like allowing me to kind of you know explore my 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 own things, you know, outside yeah. of work and still like allow me to like come in and be cool. And I don't know. I just, I feel really blessed because yeah. we know that a lot of people like are struggling right now mm-hmm. just to kind of like make ends meet and, you know, society isn't really <laughs> playing a huge role in helping people right now. Certainly um, not. And I just feel really blessed to have, to be able to find a good paying job um that keeps me safe and healthy you know we had a a staff meeting to talk about what it's going to look like you know since everything's closing down again um how we're gonna keep everyone employed because we don't want to lay anyone off you know we want to make sure that people keep their jobs and so um how we can like help our teams to like stay employed and work and you know healthy and um and i just haven't worked for an organization that like really cares for people like i've worked for organizations that say they care for you yep (laughs) but
1: uh this
2: really put their money where their mouth is from like what i've been able to like really take away but um but yeah now it's like I went to downtown earlier today to get fabric because I feel like, again, everything is going to close down. Yep. To stock Sucking up, up. <laughs> materials before everything shuts down again, girl. Because I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to be prepared. Y'all can oh, yeah. hoard toilet paper. I'm going to go hoard some fabric.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I have like six different kinds of fabric with like 10 yards of each. So, like, because I know th- things can happen and I just want to have projects
2: right? I'm over here like, I don't even know if I'm going to use this, but I'll take this too.
1: (laughs) This is $1 a yard? Great. Give me 20 yards of it. Like, I'll take it and
2: figure out what to do with it. (laughs) Bro, I've done that. And that's why I think I have like a fucking closet full of fabric. Yeah. I was going through it the other day and I'm just like, oh my god, I didn't even know I still had this. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even remember buying this. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have
1: to to go through a lot in your life and have a whole lot of different types of jobs and have lots of different experiences to get you to where you need to be. Um, and then you find those jobs that are just kind of serendipitous where it's like, oh, this uses like all of the skills that I've somehow yeah. acquired throughout the years. And it. I think that's such an encouraging thing because it's something that I've started to um, see in my own life because I quit my day job last June and I've been working as a full-time designer and podcaster and that kind of stuff ever since and it's just you start to realize that your life conditions you into certain skills and it's finding the way to mesh those together that really gives you something to be excited about and there's always you can always find a job that matches that
2: yeah and I feel like you know sometimes we try so hard. Like I'm all about like manifesting things, mm. but sometimes I feel like we try so hard that we lose sight of what we're trying to manifest. Yeah. Like, sometimes maybe you already manifested it and you just kind of like didn't even see it. Yeah. And um, like, how would I have known that at 3 a.m. in the morning, during doing an overnight shift, scrolling through Facebook, I would now end up like here like at this yeah. agency like working for yeah an amazing you know queer company and um you know like i and i could have easily just like kept scrolling yeah. and like missed that moment you know and i think um like a lot of people ask me like well how did you even get started in that field which is a funny story, um, you know. I I always tell people I was like, you know, just keep your options open. Don't say no to yeah. everybody, um, even if you got to put out sometimes. Mind you, I didn't put out my very first job, but I dated somebody in in like the gay softball league here in LA, and then I met through dating him. I met like one of my really closest close friends now, you know, and um, and you know, but I I had like met all these people through him um that I probably would have never met before mm. and mind you we dated for like a second like it was like a <laughs> week or two and even his friends were like oh so you're the flavor of the week <laughs> and I was like, oh that's how it is eh and he's like, it's well, always <laughs> great when the friends say that and you're like Oh, I'm glad I know what kind of relationship this is. <laughs> right. And so, but you, his friends, you know, who are now like my, I don't even talk to that boy anymore. Like I see him and we're cordial, but, um, and, and I don't have anything against him. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm, I'm, I dodged a bullet. Um, <laughs> his friends like are actually some of my closest friends now, like, you know, and mind you, one of them is why I even like how I even got here is because one day I was, you know, I was scrolling through Facebook <laughs> and I noticed that he got married And so I, and I hadn't talked to him for like a while. And I was like, Hey, um, congratulations. Like, I didn't know that you got married. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for you. You know, like this is, you know, what we aspire Mm -hmm. to do, right. Gay marriage. (laughs) Um, and so I, so he was like, Oh my God, thank you, boo. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, thank you. Like, I'm grateful to hear that. Like, how have you been? I was like, I'm all right. You know, just kind of like just working and, you know, trying to figure shit out. He's like, Hey, like I, Actually I I think I we're we're hiring at my job for like a community outreach worker and I think you'd be great for it. The, you know, you've done a lot of work with the sisters and you, you know, you're you're very involved in the community. He's like, I think that you'd be an asset to to the agency. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I, I don't mind, like, sure, I'll I i do not know what it is, but I'll do it. So I got <laughs> the job and um and I was like, okay, cool. And I feel like those memes where you see all these like big lions and then there's like that little kitty. And it's like, when you lie on your resume, but you get the job anyway, like that's how <laughs> yeah. I felt. But I, you know, I, it, it's something that you can learn. Like we sent you to trainings. Like we make sure that everyone's mm. developed. We do internal training. Like that's what I do with the staff now. Like I'm doing all these trainings for prep and for HIV and you know, how to, uh, how to talk about it. And And I love it. Like I love educating. Like I think as I've grown older as like, you know, a queer person, I I I love being able to teach younger individuals, especially younger queer folks, um, just anything, anything about life, you know, because I I didn't really have a lot of that growing up and I've always
1: yeah, I mean, we didn't get the opportunity. A lot of the generation that would have been the generation teaching us died in the nineties. We didn't have that opportunity. So we ought to be doing that now.
2: Yeah, and, like that's that's been, like, my motto for the longest, like, be the role model you wish you had, like, mm-hmm. especially, like, the gay role model that you wish you had, um, because we didn't grow up with that. Like, now you see yeah. a lot of representation in the media, and yeah. I think, like, even proper representation, because I feel like for the longest, when you did have, like, gay representation, it was very, it was almost like a caricature of it. I had and- Bugs Bunny. That was my queer representation oh, in my life. I live- <laughs> Girl, I live. But, like, I'm, I'm, I, I always tell people, like, if you want, like, a job in the community, you know, or a job in general, like, just keep your ears open, like, talk to everyone, like, network, you know, yeah. you know if there's something that you see, like, you like, like, just go for it, even if you think, like, it's beyond your reach. Girl, you won't know unless you try. Like, yep. And that's always been kind of like what I tell people, like just do it. What's the worst that can happen? Like they say no. Well, guess what? You're back where you would have been if you wouldn't have tried at all.
1: Yep. So, and um, spend time with other queer people and and take opportunities from other queer people and give opportunities to other queer people. I The only reason I found the apartment that I lived in in Seattle was because I used to hang out at my home bar every day after work. I would go in right at 4 p.m. because The bar would open at noon. Um, But I would go in and sit at 4 p.m. and just get, like, a Coke or something. And it was, like, all the 16, 70-year-old regulars that had been going to that bar for, like, 40, 50 years would just be sitting there, like, watching TV or shooting the shit with each other. And I would sit there and talk to them and learn and one of them one day overheard me talking to the bartender about how I was looking for a place to stay. And he's like, Oh, well, I manage the building that's right over there and we have an open apartment. Do you want it? <laughs> like, spend time with other queer people. We look out for each other.
2: No, absolutely. As what I've told people for the longest, like, just put yourself out there and, mm-hmm. you know, and again, like, manifest it, but also be aware of your surroundings to. Yep. to to identify what you've manifested because if you're like wanting it and wanting it and wanting it but don't identify the signs or the opportunities when they present yourself to you then it's like not worth it
1: yep listen to your instincts your instincts rarely will lead you wrong
2: yeah it's like it's interesting though because i think a lot of these skills we've kind of like had to learn the hard way Mm -hmm. because you're so I feel like a lot of us growing up are so we we are aware of things, but we're not aware of the right things. We're more aware of our like safety. We're more aware of, you know, the things that are, are going to keep us from like getting bullied or beat up or like we're we're worried about passing or we're worried about like making sure we can keep
1: secrets correctly.
2: And I feel like that keeps us, that like prevents our development from like being aware of like opportunities, possibilities. Yeah. You know, um, like the good things. We're so worried about you know ourselves in the sense of like just getting by. Yeah. That we we loo- we we've kind of like not developed the skills of like looking ahead or seeing the bigger picture. And I think as we've grown older, we develop those things. But uh, hopefully, I mean, sometimes <laughs> while, but. Um, but it's 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 so different living growing up queer and growing up you know in in this community than our straight counterparts because we just walk a different life you know yeah. growing up our priorities are completely different
1: completely different i was actually just talking earlier with one of my roommates cuz i've been as i've been working i like to turn on something that i've seen a million times in the background so i don't have to worry about it What is yours? Uh, Well, it changes. Um, For a long time, it was Ugly Betty, and I watched that like 6,000 times. Um, And with everything going on lately, I changed over to Glee, and I've been watching through Glee again. And just realizing how, when that show first came on the air, I was in college. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think it started in 2009. Um, I could be wrong, could have been earlier. But when it first came on, I remember seeing the character of Kurt and being like, ugh, he's too femme. Mm -hmm. No gay guys like that. Like, we're all just trying to pass. Like, get over yourself. And, like, sitting there now, like, (laughs) at my sewing machine, making dresses for people, like, thinking about what jewelry I'm gonna wear with a certain look, and just realizing how impactful his character was on my own life. Um, And I didn't get that until... College, like there was, there wasn't anything like that on television. Like the closest we got, got was maybe like, uh, Will and Grace or or um, uh, uh, Queer as Folk. But those were on channels that I didn't have because my family wasn't wealthy enough to get that level of cable. Well, there was
2: I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so like, it's it's so it makes me so happy that kids nowadays have grown up with those characters on tv but yeah it was it's weird thinking about how i wouldn't be who i was today without that kind of representation Mm. and
2: just being so happy that it's there now yeah i mean it's so it's so funny that you mentioned that because even when i used to watch glee i remember again like his character and um and it's not that i didn't like his character or that i did like his character his character was very meh to me Mm. only because growing up like that was, that was what I didn't want to be. Yeah, exactly. That's what I didn't want to represent. Exactly. And it was nothing against him. It was more against like the way that my family perceived me. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when, when I was a kid, I asked my mom if I could get my ears pierced. Cause like all the kids in like fifth grade had their ear pierced for some reason. And I was like, mom, like I want my ears pierced. Like all the kids there have their ears. I like, well, if I pierce your ear, I'm going to get you a pair of heels and a purse. And I am still fucking waiting on my pair of heels. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that was, like, their, my parents had always been so, and I don't even think they realized how homophobic they were. Mm -hmm. But I think in, like, Latino culture, it's just kind of second nature. Yeah, I've grown up with normalizing certain comments or behaviors without ever being checked because everyone around them normalized it. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, when I started realizing that I knew that I was different because I didn't really know what gay was. But when I knew that I was different, I realized like, oh, well, that doesn't really make me feel nice, you know. Yeah. And, it was, and like I, my parents have come a long way. I came out to them when I was like 20. And I only came out to them because at my very first boyfriend ever gave me like this shitty ultimatum of like you come out to them or we're breaking up. And so cool, bye. No, <laughs> so girl, I was like, okay, I gotta come out to them. And so I did. He still broke up with me like a week later. Ugh, but like, awful. I yeah, I did feel that way. And then, but in retrospect, I'm actually really grateful that he gave me that push because I feel like. I kept on making excuses to not come out to them. Mm-mm. And I feel like I just needed to do it. Like I was already independent. I was living on my own. Like I, I just, you know, yeah. I I didn't have anything to lose. Like I just wanted to like, let them know what was going on. And so I did. And my dad was super supportive. He was like, well, I, you know, you're my son. I'm still going to love you no matter what. My mom, on the other hand was like really uncomfortable with the su- situation. And here came the waterworks and all that stuff. And, you know, it took a few years for her to get kind of over it. Yeah. And it wasn't until like Pulse happened mm. that I think she remembers. So she remembers seeing like the news of this mother, this like Latin mother, not, you know, identifying her son because she refused to say that that was her son.
1: Mm.
2: And she had seen that story. And I guess she realized how petty she had been this entire time. Yeah. And I think she didn't realize how... Much hate there is toward our community, and that she knew that I was at bars all the time. You know, like mm. I like at that point, my pa- my brothers, my parents already knew my other brothers were gay because it's three of us and we're all gay. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, right, and, and we all. I would had, be so happy. <laughs> what do you think, girl? Um, but like, no, I love them, but um, at that point, like my brothers never came out to my parents. My parents just kind of like knew and then like Mm. my parents my parents love my ex-boyfriend they'll still ask about him they're like how's cody i was like he's fine in long beach go visit him (laughs) Um, and then like my my brother's boyfriend comes around all the time and like he's been around for like four or five years now and like my parents like love him and so i never thought that i would see that like i Mm -hmm. honestly never ever ever thought growing up that i'd ever be able to bring a boyfriend around my family Um and then here I am like being asked about them after we've broken up for six months more than they ask about me. Um and uh but I'm like so happy, like it blows my mind because sometimes I feel like so surreal. And again, like I feel so blessed to have this because I know a lot of a lot of people in our community don't have that luxury or that privilege, you know, to like have that. We do build our own families and we do build our own like you know, system of support. And you know. I'm glad that we can do that, too, because I i mean, I definitely have my my support that goes beyond, you know, my blood family. Like, if I didn't mm-hmm. have my queer family girl, I I wouldn't <sighs> be able to get through it because there's certain things I just can't talk to my real family about. I can't talk to them about Absolutely. the troubles of douching and then the top about <laughs> showing up. Like, I can't talk to them about fucking break, like, breakups because I don't know how to talk to my parents about a boy dumping me, you know, like, yeah. Guy, like, i'm crying and like why my heart's broken because of another guy and it's just not the kind of conversations that i really have with them and i don't think any of us kind of are comfortable having it um,
1: meanwhile my parents when i broke up with my boyfriend i was like so we broke up and my parents were like okay (laughs) i was like great i'm just gonna go over here and like go through depression eating
2: everything in the house and
1: Right? S- sleep for twelve hours a day. Glad glad you got over it real fast.
2: <laughs> but it's so yeah, it's so it's so interesting, like just the dynamics of like queer life and growing mm-hmm. up and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'm like so grateful that they finally came around and that we have a better relationship and I can like be openly gay. And yeah, you know, I think my dad seen me in drag a few times and he was like, How's Bam Bam doing? I was like, She's all right, she's in the closet. <laughs> chilling in there that's great <laughs> i don't think my
1: parents have quite figured out that dichotomy yet of like that's that's the character and we talk about her as if she's like a separate entity because if we don't we get a little too
2: caught up in it <laughs> no i remember one time um i think our my mom was like doing laundry and she was like whose thong is this i was like oh that's not mine that's that's kevin's i was like and then my, my brothers like oh yeah that's my thong it's part of my costumes and it was it's just so interesting and then i told my mom i was like you can't even be mad at us being gay because like you have like the magic gay baby making womb i was like your womb <laughs> only produces gay children and that's your fault not yeah fault. right and uh, I honestly think that's why she stopped having children. She's like, I can't, I, I can't have another gay child. And I was I like, can't mom, handle like, another wardrobe in this house, right? I was like, I'm like, mom, I think you wanted girls so bad that you just had two, three gay children. So, and now you have three gay, da-. like, I'm like, well, you have Moxie. Well, like your daughter, um, but it's just so funny. I'm like, because I'm, I'm like, I'm not a woman. I am like a thing. <laughs> I was like, I am a creature. And then the other one is like rough, but he's a performer. I was like, that bitch can like backflip and split. Wow. Moxie just like looks pretty. And she's like, hi.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, that's what I do. I just stand there and look pretty and make people come to me with their tips.
2: <laughs> I just I just suck dick with makeup on. I was I mean, like, if my makeup stays on, then that's a talent.
1: We We all have our talents. Mm-hmm. I have to say one of the first times I talked to a sister, she was like, we're going to teach you. How to do your lipstick so that it doesn't come off when you suck dick, and I was like, "Great, now I know who, what, like, who to come to for these kinds of tips." Yeah, very handy.
2: Well, <laughs> one one event was really funny because I was giving like, it was like a kissing booth. We were doing a kissing booth, uh, but it wasn't like I was like, "Oh no, I'm like, I'm not kissing your face. I'm kissing your butt," and so you <laughs> just tell who who came to my booth. Because I had like a glittered beard on that day. And so everyone had like glitter on their butthole <laughs> around the bar. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Because you just walk around. Everyone in the jockstrap just had like silver glitter like shining <laughs> around the door.
1: The and only when- time I ever had makeup come off on someone, it was very purposeful. And I put on extra lipstick because it was someone who had a lipstick tattoo on their ass. And I was like, oh. I'm going to kiss right next to it. So then you have two lipsticks, <laughs> lipstick marks on your ass. Oh, it was lovely. very cute. But otherwise, I'm very proud of the fact that I know how to do lips that don't
2: transfer. Right. I used to love lip tar for that reason. Mm. But then also I hated lip tar for that reason. Because then I'd like go to work the next day with like a purple <laughs> lip or like... A it's all about... Lip.
1: I just use... Um, for that kind of lip i do use liquid lipsticks nowadays but yeah for for that kind of lip i just use like ben nye cream colors That's what I and do then now. i set it with powder mm-hmm. and then I, you just use eyeshadows to color it and it works perfectly and it doesn't move and you can kiss as many people yep my back of the day i used to be a hoe vivian used to be a hoe and she isn't really anymore she's just kind of over everything at this point (laughs) i I, I have toys for that but my record at that point was there was one time i was in san diego and i made out with five or six guys in one night and my lipstick didn't move and i was so proud of myself
2: that is (laughs) it no yeah like my favorite like my favorite thing in my makeup box is like my makeup forever like flash palette yes that was like my thing like that was like my lips my eyes my everything and um
1: oh yeah i I don't understand people who are like i use lip liners and lip glosses and lipsticks i'm like why i have three colors of cream foundation that i use
2: (laughs) yeah cream foundations are like my shit like i fucking love them (laughs) and like makeup even though makeup forever changed their formula from like the last time that i that i was up in drags but that was like my thing like that was like my favorite thing in my makeup kit
1: and makeup forever is the brand to go to because they've they before all of the like drama with oh these makeup companies only have like such and such number of foundation shades and then fenty came out and was like we have everything before all of that happened makeup forever had like 50 shades and it mm-hmm. was like mostly deeper shades and it, so they're they're a good brand they're a good brand to yeah I've always liked not sponsored
2: (laughs) right neither am I it's just I wish
1: I I wish makeup forever would sponsor me
2: because they're expensive they're not (laughs) not
1: um anyway I think this is a good place to kind of wrap up because we've been talking for like an hour and a half um where can people find you online if they so wish
2: yeah I mean you could always find me on instagram um that is mr m-i-s-t-e-r Underscore Bam Bam B A M B A M. So, Mr. Underscore Bam Bam is my Instagram handle. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Dan Soto, but you could also find me as uh, Bam Bam as well. And it's pretty much where you can find me.
1: And what is your tipping information? Because I always like to include that just in case, especially during COVID.
2: Oh, yeah. But you can always tip me on Venmo. I believe my thing is Bam Squared. Yeah, so BAM squared, B A M S Q U A R E D. This is BAM fucking power. BAM, BAM.
1: Perfect. And you can always find all of our podcast information and my personal information in the description box. Um, Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all later. Bye. Bye. Yeah, but but. thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week. Same place, same time. Yeah.